Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of hypovolemic shock found under the cardiovascular section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with the clinical snapshot. A 55-year-old man presents to the emergency room after collapsing while hiking. His hiking group reports that he had not had any water to drink as he was nauseous from food poisoning the night before when he had copious amounts of diarrhea. His blood pressure is 85 over 53. On physical exam, he has no jugular venous distension, his mucous membranes are dry, and skin is cold and clammy with reduced skin turgor. He is given fluids. This is a case of hypovolemic shock. Let's continue with an introduction to hypovolemic shock. Clinically, it is defined as shock secondary to decreased intravascular volume. With regards to the etiology, it may be due to hemorrhage, such as from trauma, gastrointestinal bleeding, ruptured aneurysms or hematoma, a fistula, or postpartum hemorrhage. It may be due to non-hemorrhagic causes, such as from gastrointestinal fluid losses, skin losses, such as from Burns or Stevens-Johnson syndrome, renal losses, or third space losses. And with regards to the pathogenesis, there is an underlying event that causes a decrease in intravascular volume. The decrease in intravascular volume then causes a decrease in cardiac output and wedge pressure and a compensatory increase in systemic vascular resistance. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will typically involve features of the underlying cause, and on exam, one may note hypotension, tachycardia, reduced skin turgor, non-distended jugular veins, dry mucous membranes, and cold and clammy skin. And with regards to imaging, imaging may be obtained as needed to identify the underlying cause. With regards to other studies, pulmonary artery catheterization may be performed, and specific findings would include decreased pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, that is a PCWP that is less than 15 millimeters of mercury, a decrease in cardiac output as the severity progresses, and an increase in systemic vascular resistance. And when making the diagnosis, remember that most cases are clinically diagnosed. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about other causes of shock, such as cardiogenic, obstructive, and distributive. Let's discuss the different features of the different kinds of shock in order to differentiate among them. In terms of hypovolemic shock, there will be cold and clammy skin, a decrease in wedge pressure, an increase in systemic vascular resistance, and a decrease in cardiac output. For cardiogenic shock, there will also be cold and clammy skin, but an increase in wedge pressure, increase in systemic vascular resistance, and decrease in cardiac output. For obstructive shock, there will be cold and clammy skin, but a decrease or increase in wedge pressure, an increase in systemic vascular resistance, and a decrease or unchanged cardiac output. For distributive shock, patients will have warm or dry skin, there will be no change or a decrease in wedge pressure, a decrease in systemic vascular resistance, and a decrease or increase in cardiac output. In terms of treatment, the management approach involves treating the underlying cause and establishing the ABCs, that is airway, breathing, and circulation. Medical treatment options include intravenous fluids with large bore IVs. This is indicated for all patients, and patients should be transfused with blood for hemorrhagic shock. And lastly, complications related to hypovolemic shock include acute renal failure. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to hypovolemic shock, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, 
consider the following clinical scenario. A 25-year-old man presents to the emergency department after a motor vehicle collision. He was an unrestrained driver in a head-on collision. The patient has a Glasgow coma scale of 9 and is responding to questions inappropriately. His temperature is 96.0 degrees Fahrenheit or 35.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 64 over 44. Pulse is 192 beats per minute. Respirations are 32 breaths per minute and oxygen saturation is 94% on room air. Which of the following interventions is the best treatment for this patient's hypotension? And the answer choices are choice 1, dobutamine, choice 2, norepinephrine, choice 3, normal saline, choice 4, steroids and neurosurgical intervention, or choice 5, whole blood. The best answer to this question is choice 5, whole blood. The patient is presenting after trauma with hypotension and tachycardia, which is most likely due to hemorrhagic shock. The best treatment for hemorrhagic shock is replacement of blood with whole blood. The most common form of shock in trauma is hemorrhagic shock. Bleeding can occur into the thighs, abdomen, pelvis, thoracic cavity, or out into the environment leading to hypotension and tachycardia. When a patient presents after trauma with hypotension and tachycardia, it is important to initiate a massive transfusion protocol while stopping the source of bleeding. After the initial trauma evaluation, which includes airway, breathing, circulation, disability, and environmental or exposure, a fast exam can help further elucidate the source of bleeding in addition to a chest and pelvic radiograph. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Dobutamine is a beta-1 greater than beta-2 agonist that could increase cardiac output. However, it would not be an initial measure for any form of shock as fluids and vasopressors would be more effective and are indicated prior to dobutamine. Choice 2. Norepinephrine is a vasopressor that is typically the first initial presser used for shock. While it would be the best initial vasopressor to use in this patient, transfusing blood is a more appropriate measure that directly addresses the underlying pathophysiology of this patient's shock. Choice 3. Normal saline is an IV fluid that could correct the underlying pathophysiology of hypotension and tachycardia in dehydration. However, it is a less desirable IV fluid when compared to lactated ringers, which has better mortality outcomes and less kidney injury when used as a fluid. In the setting of hemorrhagic shock, it is better to administer whole blood. Choice 4. Steroids and neurosurgical intervention could be an appropriate intervention for neurogenic shock or damage to the spinal cord as steroids could theoretically decrease inflammation and injury to the spinal cord and neurosurgery could be indicated depending on the type of injury. Neurogenic shock presents with hypotension and bradycardia. In neurogenic shock, vasopressors such as norepinephrine are also highly effective. Finally, a bullet summary. Whole blood or a massive transfusion protocol is the ideal method of resuscitation for hemorrhagic shock. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 33-year-old man presents to the emergency department after a motor vehicle collision. He is minimally responsive and is promptly intubated. His temperature is 97.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 92 over 52 
and pulse is 185 beats per minute. A fast exam is performed with an image of the right upper quadrant demonstrating free fluid in the abdomen. Which of the following are the most likely systemic vascular resistance, wedge pressure, and venous oxygen changes that would be seen in this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. An SVR that is decreased. Wedge pressure that is decreased. SVO2 that is decreased. Choice 2. Decrease in SVR. Decrease in wedge pressure. Increase in SVO2. Choice 3. Increase in SVR. Increase in wedge pressure. Decrease in SVO2. Choice 4. Increase in SVR. Decrease in wedge pressure. Increase in SVO2. Or choice 5. Increase in SVR. Decrease in wedge pressure. Decrease in SVO2. The best answer to this question is choice 5. Increase in SVR. Decrease in wedge pressure. Decrease in SVO2. This patient is presenting with hemorrhagic shock as demonstrated by free fluid in his abdomen on the FAST exam, which would cause an increased systemic vascular resistance, a decreased cardiac wedge pressure, and a decreased venous oxygen. Hypovolemic shock can occur secondary to dehydration or secondary to severe blood loss and trauma, such as in hemorrhagic shock. The physiologic response to hypotension is to increase the heart rate to improve cardiac output and to increase systemic vascular resistance to improve blood pressure. The increased heart rate leads to increased delivery of blood forward to the systemic circulation, with minimal filling and pressure buildup leading to a decreased wedge pressure. Since the tissues are poorly perfused in hypovolemic shock, they extract more oxygen from the blood. This increased extraction of oxygen leads to a decreased venous oxygen concentration. The treatment of hypovolemic shock is to replace volume, either fluids if the patient needs fluids or blood if they need blood and to stop the source of bleeding if there is one, typically involving emergency surgery. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choices 1 and 2, low SVR, low wedge pressure, and low SVO2 might be seen in some instances of septic shock where the primary defect is the low SVR, leading to a compensatory increase in cardiac output and a low wedge pressure. Increased oxygen consumption in the tissues can lead to a low SV2. On the other hand, a high SVO2 may be theoretically seen given that septic shock can lead to impaired oxygen use at the level of the tissues. Choice 3. High SVR, high wedge pressure, and low SVO2 could be seen in cardiogenic shock where the heart is not successfully pumping blood forward, thus the high wedge pressure, leading to poor perfusion and increased tissue O2 extraction, thus the low SVO2. Choice 4. High SVR, low wedge pressure, and high SVO2 are incorrect because in hemorrhagic shock, there would be increased consumption of O2 at the tissues, leading to a lower SVO2. Finally, a bullet summary. Hypovolemic or hemorrhagic shock will present with hypotension and tachycardia and cause increased systemic vascular resistance, decreased wedge pressure, and decreased venous oxygen saturation. That's all for this review about hypovolemic shock. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. 
You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.